Hello, and welcome to the teaching ministry of Impact Family Church. For more information, including service times and directions, or to find out more about us, you can visit our website at www.impactfamilychurch.com. We trust you'll be blessed by today's message. In the 10th chapter of John's Gospel, the heading in, in my Bible over this chapter says Jesus, the true shepherd. Jesus, the true shepherd. So we know this, is, this verse, is, this passage is talking about him and, and Jesus is talking here about himself. He said, most assuredly I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door but climbs up some other way the same as a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the doorkeeper opens and the sheep hear his voice. And he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. And when he brings out his own sheep, he goes before them and the sheep follow him for they know his voice. Yet they will by no means follow a stranger but will flee from him for they do not know the voice of strangers. Jesus used this illustration, verse six says, but they did not understand the things which he spoke to them. Then he said to them, most assuredly I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who ever came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not hear them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief does not come except to steal and to kill and to destroy. I have come that they may have life and that they may have it more abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd gives his life for the sheep. But a hireling, he who is not the shepherd, one who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees. And the wolf catches the sheep and scatters them. The hireling flees because he is a hireling and does not care about the sheep. Again, Jesus said, I am the good shepherd and I know my sheep and I am known by my own. As the father knows me, even so I know the father and I lay down my life for the sheep. And other sheep I have, which are not of this fold, them also I must bring and they will hear my voice and there will be one flock and one shepherd. Therefore my father loves me because I lay down my life that I may take it again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of myself. I have authority to lay it down and I have authority to take it again. This command I have received from my father. I want you to notice here that Jesus gave a picture of a sheepfold. He gave a picture of a flock of sheep. And he, and he gave a picture of the shepherd. And, and he said, I'm that shepherd. He said, I am the good shepherd. And he described a sheepfold where someone would try to get in and he wouldn't let them in. You see that? The wolf comes, 
someone tries to come up some other way, he said, I'm not only the shepherd, I'm the door of the flock. Now, most people understand that he was talking about the house of Israel, the nation of Israel. But then down in verse number 16, he said, other sheep I have which are not of this fold, them also I must bring and they will hear my voice and there will be one flock and one shepherd. Now hold your place here and go over to the book of Ephesians and when I find the verse, I'll tell you where. Ephesians chapter three, no, excuse me, Ephesians chapter two. Verse number 14. Well, I tell you what, let's say, let's start in verse number 11. Therefore, remember that you once Gentiles in the flesh, once Gentiles in the flesh, who are called uncircumcision by that which is called the circumcision made in the hands by flesh, made in the flesh by hands, that at that time you were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers from the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. So he's talking to the Ephesians who uh, were not mostly in this church, were not of Jewish uh, descent. They were Gentiles, but they had come into the church. He said, but now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace who has, who has made both one and has broken down the middle wall of separation, having abolished in his flesh the enmity, that is the law of commandments, created an ordinance so as to create in himself one new man from the two, thus making peace. The two he's talking about is the Jew and the Gentile. He said by his blood, even those who were afar off have now been made near, brought near, and they've been made one, one new man. That's the new creation man. That's the body of Christ, amen, made of Jew and Gentile. That's what Jesus was talking about in John chapter 10 when he said, I have other sheep that are not of this fold. He said, I have to bring them in and there will be one sheepfold and one shepherd. Praise the Lord. Thank God we have a good shepherd. Other places, here he's, Jesus called himself the good shepherd. Another place he's called the chief shepherd. And another place he's called the great shepherd. So he's all of these. He's the good shepherd, he's the great shepherd, and, and he's the chief shepherd. Amen. Now, go with me then to Ephesians 4 again. Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4. And let's look at verse number 11. And he himself, if you read the context, is talking about Jesus when he was raised from the dead. He himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, and some pastors and teachers. The word pastor there is the same word that Jesus used, the word shepherd. The word here is the common word for shepherd referring to, in the, in the natural realm, those men, uh, I'm assuming they were men, that kept watch over the flocks of sheep uh, in the nighttime, out on the hillside. 
It's the same word that was used of the shepherds, you know, that the angels appeared to in the Christmas story and, and, uh, and, and announced the birth of Christ out on the hillside. So it's the common word for shepherd. But Jesus used the word in reference to his position uh, in the church that he is the shepherd and that God's people are his flock. But then it says here that he gave some others, talking about men in the body of Christ, men and women, people, believers, who he has given to be apostles, some apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, and some pastors and teachers. So Jesus is the chief shepherd, but then he gives pastors also over the local flock. Everybody understand that? There's one body of Christ and we have a chief shepherd, a great shepherd, and the good shepherd, but then over each church there is an under shepherd serving under the Lord Jesus Christ. The under shepherd, in this case, I'm the, I'm the, I'm the shepherd, and I have some associates here that, are, that are, uh, also have the shepherding call upon their life. And the flock is entrusted to the care of the shepherd. So if we go back to John chapter 10, go back there again. These attributes... These truths about the chief shepherd, which of course ultimately is and first and fundamentally is talking about Jesus, in, a, in a, uh, uh, an associated way, in a, in a same degree or in the same way, but to a different degree, but over the local church to the same degree. See, I'm not a shepherd over, over the whole church. I'm a shepherd over this church. But the things that applied to the Lord Jesus here applies to the pastor here. Does everybody understand that? Now, with that in mind, go with me over to Hebrews, the 13th chapter. Hebrews 13. Verse number seven says, remember those who rule over you this wasn't talking about Caesar or, or Herod or, you know, one of the rulers of that day. He said, because they've spoken the word of God to you. Remember those who rule over you who have spoken the word of God to you. Well, this is primarily talking about the pastor. Because he, he said, here's, here's how I know he's talking about the pastor. He's not talking about the traveling minister. You understand that in the days of the New Testament, they didn't have an internet. They didn't have television. They didn't, we're stepping back in time now. They didn't have radio. They didn't have telegraph. They didn't have mail like we have it. At best, in New Testament times, the mail service was very sketchy. Who was the, the first mail carrier in America? Was it? No. Western, uh, Western Union? Didn't, didn't, huh? The Pony Express, that's what I'm looking for. Come on. 
help me out here. The Pony Express. That was, that was a real innovation. I mean, that was, a, that was a major development. Well, this was a long time before that. Usually, mail communications, like when these epistles were delivered, they were usually hand-delivered by someone who, who knew the person and the person, the person they got it from and the person they were going. In other words, it was personal couriers. And traveling ministers in the New Testament era, in the, in the time of the New Testament, they had no means of communicating with people in the local churches unless they were preaching in those churches. There were no newsletters. There was nothing to sign up on. There was, you couldn't follow them on social media. You couldn't be on their mailing list. You couldn't get uh, mail from them. The pastors taught the congregations. And they used the Old Testament. That was the, the, the scriptures. When, when Paul said, you know, uh, study the scriptures, you know, he was talking about the Old Testament. Because the New Testament hadn't been written. Now, in, in the first few years in particular, now as, as the first century began to, to uh, uh, unfold, particularly toward the last half of the first century, these epistles that Paul and Peter and John, or John didn't write his till the, the last decade, but, uh, 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 and Peter didn't until probably in the, in the 80s, so mostly it was, it was Paul's epistles, they started circulating around some of these churches. And so they would copy them and they'd pass them on to another church nearby, you know. So the pastors would teach from the Old Testament and then from these epistles. And traveling ministers, apostles, prophets, evangelists, and even traveling teachers, they, they were what we would call itinerant ministers and they traveled around. And so when they were in a community, they would minister to the churches and be a great help to the church. But when they left, they left. And you couldn't follow them. Now, here when it says, remember those who rule over you, who have spoken the word of God to you. Here's how I know he's talking about the pastors. He says, whose faith follow, considering the outcome of their conduct. Well, you couldn't consider the outcome of the conduct of a traveling minister. You really can't consider the outcome and follow the faith of a traveling minister today. If you want to be perfectly honest about it. Now, what I'm about to say is not criticism, it's just a fact. But everyone's online presentation, their TV presentation, a lot of money is spent, and every traveling minister puts his best foot forward on his broadcast. Come on now. In his newsletter, he doesn't tell about his, his mistakes. He doesn't tell about all the times he sinned that week. He doesn't talk about, doesn't talk about all those things, okay? You cannot follow the faith of brother so-and-so on television. Now, you think you can because you hear him on Sunday morning. But you don't know what he's doing during the week. You don't really know how he lives. And for some people, I can tell you, you would be shocked at the way some people live. And not necessarily in a good way. Paul uh, uh, told the, the church, the writer of Hebrews, I believe it was Paul, he said, obey those who rule over you whose faith follow considering the outcome 
of their faith. Did you read that? Well, let's go ahead and, and go back to it. Hebrews 13. And that was verse 7. No, verse, verse 7 says, remember those who rule over you. Go down to verse 17. Obey those who rule over you and be submissive. For they watch out for your souls as those who must give an account. Well, again, the, the traveling minister is not watching out for your souls. He didn't even know you. Amen. I have, this, uh, I have this policy that a lot of traveling ministers don't appreciate. But when a traveling minister comes in, almost all of them want to put their, their material in the back and they want to put up a sign-up sheet so you can come and sign up you know, and get a monthly letter from them. I don't let them do it. And the reason I don't is when I bring a traveling minister in, it's a de facto endorsement. I'm, I'm, I'm endorsing that ministry, the fact that I brought him in and asked him to preach. Isn't that right? You trust me to bring in reputable people, not somebody that's, that's uh, uh, you know, a, a, a charlatan or, a, you know, some kind of a crook or, you know, got, you know, an adulterer or something crazy going on in their life. You trust me to bring in good people. Well, no pastor uh, uh, intends for that endorsement to just be open-ended forever without some ongoing accountability. Well, the problem with local people signing up to follow a traveling minister is you have no way of judging the fruit of their ministry over time. You don't have any idea. Now, when they come here, unless, unless they've hidden something. See, pastors and, and ministers, traveling ministers, we belong to ministerial organizations, and we have inside inter information just simply because we know one another. Everybody I bring in here, I don't just know them. I know 100 people who know them, okay? And so uh, if anything is going on that ought not go on, we, we all know it. And if there's a reason for me not to bring somebody in that I might otherwise have brought in, if there's something going on in their life that disqualifies them, I, wouldn't, I won't bring them in. Well, you wouldn't know that. Well, when somebody comes in as a guest minister, the reason I don't want, I don't, I don't, let me say this carefully, the reason I don't promote signing up. Now, you've never heard me tell you, don't follow so-and-so. You never, in, in 38 years, you've never heard me say, don't sign up, don't get on their mailing list. You've never heard that. And I'm not saying it today. What I'm saying is, because, you know, we're all adults. And dear Lord, we live in the day of mass media. You can follow anybody you want to. Whether you signed up at the books table or not, all you have to do is just Google their name and, and, and you can follow them. You can send them money. I have never tried to prevent that. But it's not my job to try to facilitate it either. Because for the fact, the fact remains, I don't know what brother so-and-so is going to do three years from now. We all know people. I don't believe they, any of them would. But we all know people who did something and we were like, you would never expected a person to do what they did. Well, you know, for that reason, because, the, because I know the church member doesn't have any way 
to follow and really uh, uh, have, there's no accountability to the church member. I just don't, I just don't allow them to, uh, my congregation is not a commodity to be traded. And ministers come to churches very often on that agreement. You know, I'll come, but I want you to, I'm not, I'm not, I'm, you're not a commodity for me to be traded and sold to the highest bidder. But you can follow anybody you want to and give to anybody you want to. But in the days of the New Testament, none of this sort of thing existed. I wonder today what traveling ministers, how they would survive if they couldn't have people from the churches supporting them. You know, every month, individual members all through the church. I can tell you how they'd have to survive. They'd have to survive by entering into relationships with the local churches and the pastors and being faithful to be a blessing to congregations. You know, we have a few people over the years who've been a tremendous blessing to us. And we give to them every month. We give to Shekinah Glory. They've been to our church countless times, 30 plus times probably. And so, you know... I guarantee you, my congregation, this congregation has given more to Shekinah glory over the years than they could ever have gotten by signing people up. And they've never tried to do that. Don't misunderstand me. They've never tried to do that. So my advice to pastors is enter into relationships with churches and pastors and be faithful and be a blessing. Those pastors will raise more money for you than you'd ever raise by trying to make an end run around behind him and sign up people willy-nilly from the congregation. Amen? So saying that, I'm saying that to say this, when, when the writer of Hebrews said, obey those who are over you in the Lord, for they watch out for their souls as those who must give an account, he wasn't talking about the traveling ministry because it wouldn't apply. He's talking about the pastors. Now what does it mean to obey your pastor? Does it mean that I'm going to call you up and tell you what kind of socks to put on you guys are, are, you know, tell you what to do in your personal lives. It has nothing to do with that. It has nothing to do with telling you what to do in your personal life, you know, what kind of job you're supposed to take, where, you know, where, what kind of house you're supposed to live in, whether you're to go here or go there. That is none of my business. My business is this business. This is my business. See, I'm the shepherd of the flock. And, and I am over, when it says those who are over you in the Lord, it's talking about in the things of God. Now that doesn't mean, there's, a, there's an old uh, uh, terminology back from the 70s, 60s, 70s, and 80s in the shepherdship discipleship movement. And people talked a lot about your covering. And your pastor was your covering. I don't know if any of you were around back then, but they talked about that a lot. That is not even in the New Testament. It's not even in the Old Testament. It's not in the Bible. That your pastor is your covering. No, Jesus is your covering. I'm not, I don't stand in the place of Christ in your personal life. You have one head, and it's the Lord Jesus Christ. But when it comes to the operation of the church collectively, when we meet together and the things that, that, that uh, 
uh, constitute our assembling together in this local family, then I'm, I'm over that. Well, in those areas, the pastor has authority. Now, Jesus said that the shepherd watches over his flock and he's the door to that flock. He said, no man comes into this flock except by the door. Now, he also talked about hirelings. A hireling is someone who's in, who is a, 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 a pastoral uh, uh, imitator, okay? He's a fraud. He's a hireling. He's not really a pastor. The way you can tell someone's not a real pastor is when there's a challenge, he flees. Now, he might not flee physically, get in his car and run away and leave town, but he steps back from his responsibility and just lets anything happen. There are, God loves people, but he puts a church together for a purpose. He gives us a vision. He gives us a pastor. And the, it's the pastor's responsibility to keep the church going in the same direction, to, to watch over what is preached and taught. Now, again, it's not to micromanage your life personally. Brother Doug, I have enough confidence in Brother Doug that he listens when he's in church and when he goes home, he's not reading Hare Krishna material. But theoretically, I can't say. That would be on him, wouldn't be on me, would it? But he's not bringing it in here. You see, I have the authority to stand at that door and say, you're not bringing that in here. Amen. And there are people that are, God loves people, but some people are confused. They're confused and they're rebellious and they stir up trouble and they will not learn, they will not listen. How many of you, this, this is a, I already know the answer to this, but this is a commonly accepted truism and you'll all acknowledge this is true, that in Christ, because you're a Christian, you belong to Jesus, you have the Holy Spirit in you, it is your right, you understand under Christ, not to be rebellious to him, but it's your right, if you moved, if you had to move to Texas and uproot, you know, and just you had to go for whatever reason, you got to Texas, you would look for a church. How many of you believe that it's your right to find your own church? You don't have to submit that to a committee. You're going to go visit churches. You're going to pray. And you have a, you, you're required to follow the Holy Spirit. But assuming that you understand that, you have the right to choose where you go to church. That is a very common understanding that people have. That I, I can choose to go to church wherever I want to. But let me ask you a question. Would a, would a pastor have something to say about that? The shepherd over the flock, would he have something to say whether someone attended that flock or not? See, that's something we don't think about. But, but when you, if you do think about it, that's, see, I, this, is, this is why I prayed this morning before I started Deliver Us From Traditions. 
People have the idea they can go where they want to go, do what they want to do. But you know, just think about your home. You're, you're welcoming, you know, you, but you know, you have control over who comes into your house. Well, wouldn't it just make basic sense that the pastor has something to say? Whether somebody attends his church? Yeah, he would. Because just like Jesus is the door to the flock, I'm the door to the local flock. Jesus said, no one comes in any other way but by the door. You're not coming in but by me. Now, here's, here's so that you understand what I'm talking about. I generally accept people because we're, we want people to come. So I don't, I don't set up an appointment and screen people that start coming to my church. I, I, I am willing to take the chance that they're coming for the right reason and that they're wanting to find a church and they're wanting to find a place to belong. I'm trusting, and it's generally true, that they're not wanting to come in and bring their own ideas that are contrary to this church's ideas and promote that in this church. A pastor that lets that happen is inviting confusion in his church. Isn't that right? I noticed this when I had not been, I'd been pastoring a few years I didn't know what it was at first. But in every community, back in the 80s when we started our church, there was a, there's the charismatic revival was still going on. And in every community, there are certain high-profile Christians that are known in the community. And very often, in, particularly in the charismatic days, there were certain people that kind of went from church to church and they were highly recognized. Now, these people are usually successful people. Either they're successful in business or in some kind of public uh, way. They're usually very prosperous and uh, they're often very charismatic. And so, like in Gainesville in the 1980s in this community, there, was a, there, there were certain of these people and there's one particular man I'm, I'm thinking about. He went to different churches and he never really belonged anywhere. But everybody knew him. He owned a, he owned a business, a successful business in Gainesville. He, uh, he was sort of like a, like a quasi-minister. He, he didn't claim to be in the ministry, but he, but he had an air about him that he was, you know, like, like a minister, but he wasn't. He would go from church to church. And so there were, there were a number of people over a few years in, in our larger community that would do that. And there were several people I'm thinking of right now. They, they've, they're all but one's long gone. One of them still shows up every now and then. He showed up here just a few months ago. But when they went from church to church, they usually, they would attach themselves to a church and they would start trying to lead the pastor and direct the church. And eventually... They end up splitting the church. They'd get a following, you know, kind of around them and they'd get mad and they'd leave. People would leave with them or else it would just create confusion in the church. They just cause trouble. I noticed something after just a few years pastoring, maybe this is probably six or seven years. These high profile people would come to our church. I mean, we're meeting in the, in the 
women's center. And then we were meeting in, we met in a home, then we met in the, in the, in the civic center, and then we moved into the old Baptist church, and we were there. And these people would come through, and I noticed, I never acknowledged them, never, you know, just shook their hands. You know, hey, I knew who, the, some of them, I, I, well, I talked about the ones I did know. I, I knew who they were. I knew they caused trouble everywhere they went. I noticed after a, a few services, they never attached themselves to our congregation. They just left, never caused any trouble. Then there were others that I found out that I'd even, I didn't know who they were. I found out later, oh yeah, I, I heard about somebody, trouble he had caused. I said, oh yeah, he, he was coming to my church for about six weeks. Never caused any trouble. Never tried to attach themselves to the church. And I was praying about that one day. And the Lord directed me over to the 20th chapter of Acts where, where Paul was talking about the fact, he said, after my departure, he was telling, this is a pastor's conference. He had assembled there in, in, in Miletus. He said, uh, after my departure, grievous wolves will enter in, not sparing the flock. He said, even from among yourselves, some will, will arise, speaking perverse things to try to draw disciples after themselves. That's exactly what these people do. But it, it, the Lord said, did you ever notice that Paul said, after my departure, this will happen? Why didn't it happen before he departed? What were these grievous wolves, these church splitters, what were they waiting for? They were waiting for an opportunity that they would perceive to be made available by Paul's departure. Paul was exercising authority in the spirit and the Lord said, that's why those people haven't been able to come into your churches. It says, because you operate. I didn't even realize I was doing it. I didn't understand it. But I, had, I, I do know this. I had to withstand some people in the early days. I had some people try to split this church wide open. I mean, let a revolt in this church. And I had to stand up to it. I said, no, you're not. You're not doing that. You're not splitting this church. I had to run them off. And the Lord said, because you've done that and, and because you stand in that authority, he said, people come to this church and they're looking for an opening, some way to wiggle in and they realize there's no way to get into this flock. It just comes by a pastor knowing his position, his job. I didn't even understand what I was doing. I understand it now. Well, sometimes people... Will, will, will try to attach themselves to this flock and try to get in and bring in things that are confusing and to, and to speak opposition. My wife has had to stand out in the light because she and I pastor together. She, she, there was a woman coming one time, she came. I mean, the first time she came, she stood out in the lobby and started griping about everything we did. I mean, she didn't like and loudly in the lobby. She didn't like this. She didn't like, it's just blabbing her mouth out in the lobby to anybody who would listen. Well, that's not, that's not helpful. You know, you got visitors come in and you got this blabber mouth out there. For all they know, this person is a member of the church and she's out there criticizing everything. And my wife went to her and told her to stop it. She didn't stop it. So the next Sunday, my wife just went to her and said, you know what? She said, sister, I think it would be a good idea for you to find another place to go to church. Well, wouldn't that be the pastor's right? Yes. I mean, if we, if we accept 
across the board the premise that we have the right to choose a church. Dear Lord, you would think the church would have the right to say not so fast. That's right. Isn't that right? <clears throat> so my wife said, no, I'm, you, know, you need to find someplace else. Yeah, she gave her the opportunity to stop it first. Yeah. Well, I gave somebody the opportunity to stop it recently. So a lady attending our church a few times, and every time she came, she griped about the offering. She didn't believe in passing the offering busket, bucket. She didn't believe in it. She didn't believe in taking up offerings. Well, you know, you, <clears throat> you can believe what you want to. I wouldn't run somebody off for that unless they blab their mouth about it. <clears throat> unless they spread it around. This lady, on at least three occasions I know of, made public remarks about the offering. She didn't like it. She didn't believe in it. So the last time she came, she put a note in the offering bucket saying that she didn't believe in taking up offerings. So I sent word to her through a friend I said, have her call me. She didn't call. It was about, I don't know, three weeks ago or so, maybe more. She showed up this morning. And when I met her in the aisle, I said, didn't you get my, I knew she did, because I asked the person if she told her. She said she did. I said, did you get my message to call me? Oh, yeah. I said, you didn't call me. She said, that's right. I said, you can't come to church here unless you... I was going to let her stay the service. But I wanted her to know, you, I, you're going to talk to me about this. So I said, you're not going to stay here unless you call me and talk to me. She said, says who? I, right, standing right here I, and during meet and greet. I said, says me. She looked at me and she said, he didn't say that. And I said, oh, yes, he did. So I called someone and usher to take her and escort her out. So I said that because I want to get ahead of the rumor mill. <laughs> this is the way these things work. If you want to come to my church, you don't have to agree with our doctrine. You don't have to agree with anything I say we believe. Keep your mouth shut. There's really no reason to be here unless you want to learn. If you're not wanting to learn, there's no future for you. I can tell you that. But we're not gonna, we're not gonna, I don't run a police state. We don't have somebody, you know, monitoring the doors looking for people like this. But I'm gonna tell you what, if you if you continue to flaunt your opposition, then I'm the shepherd, I'm the door, and you're not gonna do it here. So I just want to tell you how it worked. Just having a family meeting this morning. Most pastors in traditional churches, traditional churches don't give the pastors that kind of right. I mean, dear Lord, denominational structures and other structures, the pastor's under the thumb of somebody, <clears throat> can't do. That's not, a bibli that's not biblical. Amen. The pastor is not, is not, you know, some kind of a dictator, but the pastor has oversight of the flock. And I'm not going to allow somebody come in 
and disrupt. I had a pastor call me one time when I was an RMAI director. And he was, he was a, a pastor in Florida. He called me. He said, I have this problem. He said, I was wondering if you could tell me, you know, help me out, give me some advice. A group of people, I don't know how many, I'm thinking, I'm thinking maybe 10. A group of people had started attending his church. And the leader, there was a leader of this group. And either this leader or one of his, part of this cadre of followers, you know, they would, they would take over the service. They would stand up in the service and start giving, calling people out and giving personal words of prophecy. And he said, you know, I, what do you think I ought to do? I said, run him off. <laughs> I said, here's what you do. I said, you do this person, you know, privately, if possible. You take him. If he's the leader, take all of them if you want to, sit them down, and I say, you say it real sweet and real politely, and yet at the same time with a stern look and a certainty in your voice that you're not going to allow this any longer, that they are to stop it from that moment, that you're not going to put up with it. I said, the next time they come to church, if they challenge you, if they start it, I said, you call for an usher and you have them escorted out of the building. You know what this pastor said to me? He said, well, he said, you know, like, like they said in the book of Acts, you know, Gamaliel, he said, I, you know, I wouldn't want to be found to, fall, to fight against God if God's moving in prophecy. I said, dear Lord, I said, pastor, now, you know what they're doing's wrong. Otherwise, why are you so troubled about it? If you think it's of God, why are you calling me? He had to admit he knew it was wrong. But you see, he, he felt like he had to, somebody came in acting more spiritual, super spiritual. Now he doesn't know what to do. I said, you do know exactly what, you knew what to do for you called me. You got intimidated. Amen. You know, the, the guy I've told you about before that came back and met me right back here about where Bonnie's sitting here after church one night and put his finger in my face and told me that, you know, he, God has sent him here to rebuke me in the church. You remember that? I stepped up real close to him and I did like these, you could smell him six feet away. He smelled like he lived in a cigarette barn, you know. And I, I said, do you smoke cigarettes? And he, he said, well, he said, the people I, I, I live with, I, the people where I'm staying, they smoke. I said, you smoke too, don't you? He said, well, I, I'm, I'm trying to get over that. But, but anyway, he came back at me again. The Lord sent me in here to tell you that this church isn't right. <clears throat> So this time I stepped up just about chest to chest. My nose is about that far from his nose and I put my finger in his chest and I said, that woman you've been bringing to church sitting next to you, she's another man's wife, isn't she? <laughs> he, he looked like, I, I, I literally looked around. The auditorium was almost empty. This was after church on Sunday night. I really looked around to see if there was somebody filming this. I wanted somebody <laughs> to film this. The expression on his face was like, See, I had talked to the woman he was bringing to church. Her husband had called me earlier that week and told me about it. He had come to another church in our area and told the church that he was a prophet. And he started beguiling the church with his phony prophecies. And then the next thing you know, he leaves with this married woman. And her husband called me and said, Somebody told me that so-and-so is going to your church. I said, well, he's been here a couple of times. And he said, well, let me tell you the story. 
So when he challenged me that night, I just stepped right up to him. I said, that woman you've been bringing to church, they would sit in church on Sunday night like a couple of misbehaving teenagers. She, I mean, I thought maybe they had just been married or something. She'd put her arm around his shoulder and she'd run her fingers all through his hair. She's basically sitting in his lap. And I remember while I was preaching, they'd sit back here. I'd look back there and I'd think, would you go get a room somewhere again? <laughs> So I said, that woman you've been bringing to church, she's another man's wife, isn't she? And he, he looked startled. He said, uh, 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 uh. Well, he said, uh, she's prayed about that and the Lord's released her from that. <laughs> I said, let me tell you something. If the Lord wants to correct me in this church, he's not gonna send a cigarette-smoking, adulterous, home-splitting prophet to tell me about it. Now, you get out this door. But you know what the sad thing was? What about that other pastor? Why didn't he stop him? Well, pastors aren't supposed to do that. They're supposed to let people come. No, that's not the way it works. Amen. So anyway, I just thought I'd bring you up to date. <laughs> so somebody tells you the pastor escorted somebody out of church. I did not. Doug Hope did. <laughs> Praise the Lord. Well, that was a little different. <laughs> Let's stand up. Praise the Lord. Thank you, Father. Glory to God. Hallelujah. We honor you today, Lord. We thank you, Father, that you have, accept, you have established order in the church. Glory to God. And we thank you for that. Hallelujah. So, Father, we just thank you today, Lord, that you are watching over your flock and that you have placed pastors and other ministers in the church to feed the flock, to minister to the flock, and to oversee what you're doing. And the vision and the plan that you give churches, Father, is not in jeopardy when people take their place and do what they ought to do. And so we're grateful for that today, Father. Glory to God. Hallelujah. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. Tepasishi. Zephyvimene menekia tori and danda. Grez dons gijedeve frevi pradan haladenga. Grez dons elidee frefiembre menen and ifriti gaga. Grondo ele ilifre frumbombe emelenishi crestian zundra davideya. For the hour and the time is upon the church. The church is arising in power and in glory. And there are those who would try to oppose and derail what the Spirit of God is doing. But in these days, they will not prevail. In these days, the truth will prevail. And those who have been called into full-time ministry to stand in these offices, all of these offices will come to a place of maturity and full potential, men and women standing in the full calling, in the full anointing, in the full place that I've called and set them in. And the church will be safe and the church will go forward. And those who are disbelieving and those who refuse to learn and refuse to know will walk on in their disobedience and their ignorance and no one can help. 
But those who are willing to learn and willing to change and willing to turn will turn and many will in these last days. And they will repent of their folly and of their wrongdoing and of their stubborn ways and come to me and come into my presence and I will receive them without condemnation. I will restore them in love and affection and they will go on to join themselves to a local church and go on to grow and mature and become strong, helpful believers, helpful in the local church and a blessing to many. And so the time has come where men must choose. Will they walk and do what's right or will they walk in their own ways? Those who walk in their own ways will suffer the consequences but those who choose to walk with me will rise up and walk in power and glory and great and wonderful things are still ahead in the church. So lift up your hands and lift up your heads and know that the end is coming soon. The church of the Lord Jesus Christ is coming into its finest hour and the day will come when the trumpet will sound, the dead in Christ will be raised and those who are alive and remain will be caught up to meet the Lord in the air. And what a grand and glorious time of reunion and celebration we will have, says the Lord. Glory to God. Thank you for that, Father. At Impact Family Church, it is our desire to see you blessed through the power of the Word of God. We have been helping people to change their world for over 25 years through our dynamic ministries and teaching. If you are going to be in the North Central Florida area and are interested in attending our services or just want more information about us, you can visit us online at www.impactfamilychurch.com.